comes out the hockey show with Tyler Briggs and Tim Hikeaway. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 32 of Tongues Out the Hockey Show. One half of the show, Tyler Briggs, solo here tonight, but on the computer here we've got... How's it going, everyone? I'm still here. Tim Hikeaway is still yeah. here. The co-host made it, well, barely. It's about it's almost about 11 o'clock at night, but yeah. he had to be here because the interview we have coming up is an unbelievable one. One of our best. One of our best. So as we say every time. Yeah, as we say every time, it just keeps getting better. But yeah. our conversation with Ben Finelli uh, the other night, a huge concussion advocate. Yeah. Um, he was drafted to the Kitchener Rangers. He played in the OHL for four seasons, over two hundred games, and he has quite the story about uh, overcoming one of the the most well overcoming a traumatic brain injury himself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was a good chat. We sat down and talked to. Talked to Ben for about an hour, but uh, before, awesome. Yeah, it was it was amazing. He was very 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 humble humble guy. He knows his stuff. He's very very smart, very well spoken, and so I can't say enough good things about about the about the guy. I'm actually looking forward to listening to this one myself. And as most of you have heard, I don't usually listen to podcasts much. I'm more of a strictly music guy. But this was uh, this one was a lot of fun to do. Absolutely, it was. He he gave us pretty much everything right from. Um, I'm for those of for those of you who are unaware who he was. I I mean I already kind of give you the run, rundown, but the hit that I'm speaking of, he was hit back in 2009. We'll get into it a little bit, but it was a unbelievably like ugly, ugly, ugly hit. Yeah. And uh, he'll he'll I won't I won't spoil it here for you guys, but uh, just him overcoming that, getting back onto the ice, um, mm-hmm. some talking to you know meeting meeting his childhood hero and. Um, just what he just had the he just seemed to have the right just the right mentality for uh for for what he had to go through and so yeah, yeah. to overcome that is incredible absolutely incredible and so it was even it was even better too after about half an hour he we got into some uh, some real real good hockey talk talking about some of his former oh, teammates yeah. yeah yeah that was that was fun too that that's was, always fun yeah he's played with some pretty damn good players and so well we'll pretty much leave you guys with that i don't think anything else really needs to be said this interview is as informative and fun as it gets yeah and whether i think i met i will well, we'll mention it in the description but whether whether you're somebody who's currently playing when whether you're somebody that is removed from the game and have some lingering lingering effects Yep. This is uh, this is the kind of conversation that you need to hear. Ben brings a brings a lot to the table. So enjoy the episode. That's all I have to say. Timmy, is the same. Without further ado. Without further ado, let's get to it, guys. Here is Ben Finelli. Perseverance comes to mind when I think of this individual. He began his OHL career as a 16-year-old defenseman for the Kitchener Rangers, where he would go on to play 201 games and serve as captain in his final season. He is the host of the Heroic Minds podcast, where his guests share their own stories of courage and adversity faced in their lives. Our guest here today embodies the name of his own podcast, and welcome to the Tongues Out Hockey Show, Ben Finelli. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, man, it was uh, just really, really great of you to uh, just just get back to us and and agree to do this on such such short notice, so I really appreciate that. Of course, of course. I mean, I'm in the exact same field as you guys. I... When I started the podcast, it was my best buddy had an idea and said, hey, why don't you, you know, you should do a podcast. You like working through problems. You like speaking. And so I totally can relate to to you figuring out as you go and whatnot. And I'm still in those stages. I'm not a professional or by any stretch. I'm learning as I go. So I, I admire what you guys are doing. Nice, man. It. Well, we That's definitely, awesome. definitely appreciate that. Thank you very much. And so uh, I, I kind of hate to do like kick things off. I know you've talked about the hit a million times before, but uh, that's kind of where I want to begin. And so mm-hmm. back in October 2009, I think I was actually playing junior hockey with this guy. Yeah. We were both 20 years old at the time, and uh, I'm a defenseman as well. And so we're playing here in Winnipeg, and I uh, saw the hit on Sports Center. Um, and yep. to be honest with you, like Tim saw it too. As soon as I told him we were bringing you on the show, he was like, "Oh yeah, that's that's Ben Finelli, right?" And so, anyways, it really really shook me up at the time when I saw it, and I'm sure, I mean, your friends and family can probably relate to that. Um, 
it was one of the. It was, in my opinion, it was a. It was a. It was. It was a vicious, predatory hit. One of the harder ones I've ever seen. And uh, would it be okay if you could just share with us what happened on that day and what you kind of remember? And what you uh, So, in all honesty, I remember uh, the night before. So the day before, there's about. That, so that whole day, I don't remember. I don't remember the the night before, actually, we played in Brampton, Ontario. Right. And so telling the story from my point of view, my memory tells me that we played in Brampton the night before. It was my fifth game. I was playing with Ryan Murphy at the time, who's now with the New Jersey Devils. He um, was with Carolina. Right, right. <clears throat> anyway, so he's with – yeah, so we were D partners that night, and – and things were going well. I had a, well, not, that's not necessarily true. We had a terrible first period. I remember that, and then cleaned things up for the second and third. And mm-hmm. I got in. The game ended, finished off better than it started. And then my parents were actually at that game because mm-hmm. I my hometown wasn't far from Brampton, so they came over to to see me play. And I saw them after the game. And then I got in the bus, and that's for me when the memory stopped. Right. And I wasn't hurt the game before, like no injury at all. I just don't remember that so I, I ended up actually going home that night and then regular day the next day school pregame and suited up for the game my sixth game so i'm still figuring out the league figuring everything out and then i don't yeah, remember were, any of that obviously and you were and, 16 uh, years old right at the time pardon 16 years old at the time right yeah yeah wow. exactly so incredible yeah so i'm still figuring everything out playing as an underager also you know you go from thinking you're your next step is the NHL, right? So there's a bit of, it's, there's, there's that social side too. So anyways, um, I, yeah, so that game, I don't remember anything at all. I see the, or see the highlight and it feels like it's someone else doesn't feel like it's me. But then when I woke up in the hospital, that was the, I do remember that quite clearly. And that's really the only, well, I guess the beginning part of the hospital, which is when I woke up and then, the next the the day I left actually so I was there Friday to Friday so I remember two days well not even two instances within the seven days so yeah it was a going from literally going from thinking you have control of your destiny and Mm -hmm. the next step is your dream which is the National Hockey League and then you wake up to hear that you'll never play sports again and your brain's bleeding in three different places so it was it was quite the experience to say the least yeah it's it's, it's wow. crazy and so obviously it was it was devastating and your road to recovery was a very very long one um you didn't play another game for kitchener until i think what i saw was the 2011 2012 season yeah and uh essentially dating two or dedicating i'm sorry two full seasons to getting yourself healthy uh what was that process like and uh, how frustrating was it for you at times like the ups and downs the toughest part was having to well I was with the team right so the toughest part was watching the games from up top knowing because I was going to school with my teammates you guys know what that's like you go to yeah. school with your teammates you're having the time of your life everything's all good and well but then you spend time at the rink and you get to the rink and all of a sudden now you have to kind of separate from the crowd I go to the gym and work on balance drills and vision stuff and stuff to help my brain heal yeah. and everyone else gets to go on the ice and, and play the game of hockey so that was tough on not generally every day and then on game night in kitchener we were lucky enough to play in front of 6500 to 70 or 7000 people a night on on fridays Packed, especially yeah. home games wow. so to to sit up top and watch that and have no chance of playing and everyone telling you you'll never do that again was the t- was tough at the same time and on the the flip side of things I wouldn't be having this conversation with you right now if it wasn't for the support of, as we know, we've seen with the Humboldt situation, the hockey community. I have a box at home, like a moving box, full to the brim with letters from around North America, not just not just locally. And one an example I'd like to say it's a very Canadian example of the support I had, but. I would in the town locally. I would go to Tim Hortons by the rink to pick up a coffee before games, Mm -hmm. and. You know what? People didn't even know who I was. I find this crazy. People really, I'm a six games into the season. On the team that I was playing on, you had Gabriel Landeskog, Jason Akison, John Moore, Ryan Murphy, Chris McKinnon, the list of names that guys that were phenomenal players. players. And I'm missing missing a couple other names that ended up Tobias Reader, John, well, not at the time, John Gibson, but just a list of all stars. And so I'm a nobody. And I go into the Tim Hortons by the rink and 
the lady at the cash, I, I went to pay for the coffee and she said, you know what? No, this one's on me. I just want to wish you the best with your journey. And she said, I don't know if you'll ever play hockey again, but I just want you to know that we're all rooting for you and we hope the best for you. And it's like, really? Like, it, it was just, I was thrown away like, or blown away. Sorry. About it. And it, yeah. yeah, I was, that's I was amazing. blown away. And, and that's just one example. Uh, yeah. It's, it's hard to put into words, but this community was totally, and, and I mean, that comes up in the whole concussion conversation, right? right. Is the dark room. You go to yeah. the dark room, which we're learning now with, with science isn't necessarily the best thing to do, which is great. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is you're, you're secluded and you're not a part of a group and you don't have that positive support. I never, people say, what was it like in the dark room for you? Or how long did you spend alone in your room? And I say, not even a minute. I had I, my fellow rookies supported me through everything. I did everything with the team. I didn't have time. I was making my own lunches. I forced myself to get back to school and finish high school on time because of the support I had. So I didn't have the dark room. I didn't experience that because I didn't just didn't have a chance. So it was those two years had their had their ba- my I had my battles with them, mm-hmm. but at the same time the support kept me going through everything. And for sure. that's why I really, I didn't move back home after. I mean, obviously I, I love to go see my family and stuff. Yeah. Cause you're an Oakville guy, right? Water, the area. Yeah. Yeah. You're an Oakville yeah. guy, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. yeah. There are a couple other bigger hockey names from the Oakville area. <laughs> yeah. There's a few, I guess. Eh? <laughs> yeah. It's pretty yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you mentioned the dark room, um, I think, I think of, uh, listening to Mark Savard's story and how much, how much trouble that guy had getting back to just living a normal life. Like it, it's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's, it's great though, that the research now is showing that the dark room, I mean, just rest is, and mm-hmm. then, then redefining what this rest even means when it comes to concussion and head injury, whether it's in sport or work, like it's really mm-hmm. no different if someone has to leave work because they slipped on the stairs with a concussion, that, that social issue is still there with work. You can't go to work. Maybe you have a family. It's even tougher. Now you can't, right? So that, yeah, I'm, I'm quite passionate about it, as you can tell. But it's great that of we're course, moving in the man. direction of, no, you know what? Let's start doing everything we can. And we might have to do it in a bit of a different way. So yeah. maybe you're not biking as hard as you used to. But you can bike maybe with the lights a little dim and you can still push your body. So it's, it's great where research is going with that stuff. Yeah, definitely. Uh, kind of kind of uh, off, the, off the board, but... Uh, chiropractic care did you ever receive any sort of chiropractic care for uh, for the the issues that's a good Afterwards? question i specifically chiropractic i don't recall that being said i was getting physio something called and i might butcher this sacrocranial manipulation i believe it's called okay and i've heard of that and that mm-hmm. okay and that very layman's terms is when they they massage your neck and and the muscles into the back of your skull i believe i should know this my girlfriend's a physio so i'm embarrassing myself right now but, um it, it's supposed to open up the the blood flow and right. get that fresh blood into the brain again very simple um to help with with healing and recovery definitely okay. so that's the only thing chiropractic wise that yeah interesting okay um so back to your uh, recovery who were the most important like you mentioned the community you mentioned uh the team the rookies and stuff of like that who were the most important people during your comeback process like i'm guessing probably your parents stuff like that right yeah yeah that, i mean those would be the simple answers but i'm yeah. sure i can i can think of something a little more exciting was yeah. the one thing that was interesting in the in the old man's club that is the game of hockey and oh, i'm yeah. sure some people would be yeah. mad to hear me say that but it's true it's it yeah. is it's it's moving in the direction, I think a little slower than it could, but regardless. So in a time where we're all playing for jobs and our coaches are playing for jobs too. Our co- my coaches wanted to coach in the NHL. Um, Steve Spot was lucky enough to, to coach in the NHL. Uh, my other coach later on after my injury, Mike Van Ryan, is in the NHL. My assistant coach, Paul Fixter at the time, co- won two cups with Colorado. So everyone's – the culture in junior – usually is everyone is working trainers as well mm-hmm. doing their best because they want to play in the nhl so mm-hmm. nowhere did did the rangers have to welcome me back in no i'm a player that's injured everyone under the sun is telling me i'll never play again of course. and my first day back with the kitchener rangers in the office with my head coach all the coaches actually troy smith paul fixter my parents they said you signed a contract for four years potentially five as an overager you're going to be a part of this team for that entire time if you choose to be but that's up to you right. he said if you are going to be a part of this team though you're going to pull your weight as well though and you're going to have a role here mm-hmm. and i think that initial conversation was a big part of of the whole journey that i that i ended up going on that again was fueled by support but it was him saying 
you know, was giving me that value in the team of, of you're going to be a part of something. So he was, a, it was cool that uh, such a high caliber coach, coach from world juniors yeah. pulled me into his office and said, you're still a part of this team. So that was cool. Cause he easily could have said like, there's no reason. Right. I mean, if it was any other team, we don't know. He could have easily said, yeah, you know what, for sure, recover at home and then tell us when you want to get back into it. And then the other individual that obviously I, I actually managed to meet him two years well before I went back to play which is incredible is Lance Armstrong oh so, wow yeah it was wicked wow. meeting him he was uh, yeah I'll finish up with a cool thing he did yeah yeah in for the, sure. so it was this fundraiser it was this fundraiser I was doing or I, I I knew he was coming to town and I reached out to people in town again this incredible community and I sent a, a couple paragraphs to someone I knew running the event and knowing me there was like 10 spelling mistakes in it and i just said you know if there's any way at all i can get in i'll run in for five minutes and just meet this whatever it takes yeah it turns out two two people in town raised raised or donated money on my behalf so that i could participate in the ride so i actually got to bike with him yeah have a conversation with him shake his hand it was insane i read that yeah and the reason i looked up to him so much or he was so motivating is in his book he said when he was when he was first diagnosed with cancer, he went home and got on his bike, and he got on his bike and was telling like his his mindset was that he was going to work so hard and push his body so hard that he was going to force the cancer out of his body to to tell the cancer that you don't want to be in me, yeah. you don't want to be Get here because here. I'm going to yeah. work too hard. And so I thought, okay, Love that mindset. that was pretty motivating. And I yeah, thought, yeah. I think. I'm going to adopt that same approach and just I'm going to do everything I can to force my brain to heal. And at that point when research wasn't where it is today, I went on the Internet and I found 10, 12 different things, nutrition, uh, mind games, whether it's Sudoku, memory stuff. The list goes on. Retraining your brain stuff. Yeah, Yeah, everything I could do. I I adopted that and and kind of adopted that approach from him in, in regards to forcing my brain to heal. I know they're obviously very different things, cancer and, and head injury, but the uh, premise was similar. Yeah. Uh, but then, so we're at the ride. This is a true story. It was 150K, I think. Cool. And I was I was trying to get as big as I could so that I was safe if I ever got back to playing. So I was biking at like 215. It was the dumbest thing I've lot. ever done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so I was, I was slow. Like everyone, <laughs> people were passing me like I was standing like, still. What does the average bikes. cyclist weigh? Like 140 pounds? Like, yeah, exactly. Oh, my yeah. God. Exactly. Wow. So, not a word of a lie. When I saw him, I was finishing up my ride, and I was one of the, I was not anywhere near the the lead pack. Like there were some professional guys even out out biking with Lance, and he was on the home stretch. He was texting, and I didn't have his hands on his bars, and he was going like forty k. Yeah, it was mind boggling. Like there was a point where I saw him in the distance. I guess he circled back or something, and I saw him texting, and I couldn't believe how fast that guy was moving. But it was it was cool to meet him, and and regardless of all the stuff that's come out yeah. since the 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 hero that he is is, is unbelievable. Oh, yeah. I admire him Big in every time. way. No, that's that's uh, that's, a, that's a really great story actually. Yeah. That, was, that was awesome. <laughs> that is cool. Um, Moving on to uh, kind of returning to the scene of the crash where the, where the hit happened. Obviously, it was at home in Kitchener, right? Um, I read that you and your teammate, Gabe Laniscog, went to the spot on the ice where, where the, it happened. And you guys were jumping into the boards and stuff like that. Um, psychologically, was it difficult for you to routinely, routinely pick up pucks behind the net? Or because you didn't so much remember the incident, in a strange way, did that make things easier for you? Totally. You're totally – that's a good – you know, I've, I haven't really been asked that question that way. And I, like you said, I've talked about this so many times. Yeah. It's, uh, I didn't remember any of it, right? So yeah. that was a blessing in regards to returning to play. So anytime, even if tomorrow or t- I went behind the net to that spot, there's no recollection at all, which is as much as someone may think that was because of the injury. Right. They say it's that's the, how the body works. And when people go through tragedy, the body naturally says, let's cut that so that you don't have to relive that or or think about that obviously i mean i I would assume that's the situation but who really knows but uh regardless yeah there was no fear going back because it wasn't a a memory in my mind yeah but yeah that that day was funny i didn't i didn't know it was coming and gabe didn't wait three seconds before he decided to throw me up against the board so (laughs) it was it was i think the right thing to do and, and he would say that as well that let's not hesitate and just get back into it yeah that's uh that's that's really really great to hear it's it's amazing that a situation like that because because there's no memory it's almost like you said like it's almost kind of a blessing that you didn't remember it in yeah. in a strange strange way right 
Totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it gave me the ability to get back to doing what I loved. So definitely. Um, so I'm gonna put this next one right on your tape, D to D. You ready? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> okay. So the concussion conversation is a pretty delicate one, as I'm sure you know. And I've listened to the stories from retired NHLers like Bryce Salvador, who's from Manitoba, yep, right? Uh, Daniel Carcello, and everything that's going on with him right now, documenting their recoveries from their own respective head injuries, and so. Uh, and I've also heard how difficult it was for guys like Mark Savard, like I mentioned, and Paul Correa, yeah. uh, just to return to living a semi-normal night, normal life. And I know you've had your hand in a few different support projects for athletes returning to the sport after brain injuries. Uh, can you elaborate a little bit about the programs that uh, you're a part of and what exactly you do? Cool, cool, for sure. So it was a little project I started when I was still with the team. So when I returned to play and I realized, oh my God, I'm going to get a chance to play again, which was crazy. That year I started speaking at schools, sharing my story. Not many times. I think it was two or three times I told my story. And then the next year, five or six times I told my story at a couple schools. And then my last year it ramped up more and more. And we ended up calling the program an incredible woman from the Kitchener Rangers, Michelle Fortin is her name. She's works in the, the media side of things. And she helped me create this program called Headstrong. Obviously, a little bit adopted from Livestrong at the well, time. That's your guy. And, yeah, that's your guy. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and and so I, that's all. It wasn't anything fancy. It was I'd go speak at a school or I'd speak at a group. I would sell T-shirts that said Headstrong. And again, the support of the community, we sold out in the first period of the game wow. when we started selling them. It was crazy. So we would donate money to the Brain Injury Association of Canada. When I finished playing, there's legalities and I wouldn't understand it all, but the Rangers said if we were still aligned, the, the Headstrong program and the Rangers, it would limit what I was able to do, who I was able to align with because they're under the OHL and under whatever, all the logistics, politics, whatever. That, yeah. So a, a group out of Toronto approached me, or actually it was a couple initially, These uh, a couple. They're in the – one's a, the wife, Kathleen, is an entrepreneur and the husband is in finance used to work with Scotiabank and now he's with a, a startup and they approached me and said, Hey, we have this idea. You've got something great already cooking. Mm-hmm. And that then came the empower foundation, which it is today. We've right. got a board of directors where we're, um, a nonprofit with charitable status and it's, it's really becoming exciting. So Some of the names you have well, behind it are we, incredible. Yeah. Are, Some of yeah, the names. It's cool, yeah. it's cool how it's all come together. So simply what we do is we take research, break it down into simple terms so that guys like you're actually, maybe I can't comment. You're probably a smarter guy than I am. Can break it down. So that we can understand it. So it's the, the interesting thing is there, there is an incredible research going on all over the place, even smaller schools that the average person may think, well, you know, it didn't come out of Harvard or Yale. So how reliable is it? There is incredible research going on in so many places. Mm -hmm. And there's two issues. One, we don't understand it. And two, we don't have access to it Mm -hmm. because a trainer on a team, a parent, a player like myself, I'm not going into the school library to read the research that was just conducted a year ago from that university. So that just stays in a library. I coach hockey. I don't know that. Yeah. I don't know that, that kind of stuff. I coach 12 year olds. I would hate to have to deal with that on the, on the fly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So it's that, that whole issue that disconnect athlete and doctor is we're trying to bridge that. And so we're taking research and, and one of our our individuals on our board, that's a a doctor and, and is tightly, uh, tied into the hockey world he's even doing his own research and and his specifically is in uh exercise and concussion which is so cool oh, trying yeah. to figure out how much exercise when to start yeah et cetera, et cetera, all that stuff we want to know um but then again we break it down and we share it and now what we've done with my podcast is brilliant idea it wasn't my idea it was let's bridge the two yeah. So we already we want to we want to break this down. We want to do it on social media and online and get these platforms that people of my and your demographic use. Why don't we bridge the the podcast and the Empower Foundation? And that's what we've done. And the feedback's been really neat. A lot of people are reaching out saying thanks for doing that. And at the same time, there's been some people reach out and say, "Hey, I've been suffering, so thank you for doing that." And that's where you you put your head on your pillow at night. And that's think, your payoff, right? Awesome. 
knowing that you're making exactly. a difference, man. That's your payoff for sure. Exactly. Yeah. And so on the uh, the Empower website, again, I'm going to bring up Landis Cog, but uh, I watched he, his his video was the first one I watched because I mean Landis Cog and Shifley are the names that me and this guy yeah. are going to notice right away, right? Yeah. 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 And so, anyways, he talked about suffering a head injury in a game, uh, but not wanting to show weakness. Obviously, he's the captain of the Avalanche, uh, wanting to be there for his team, and he's a professional athlete, and clearly he has had great support from a friend like yourself and of course the avalanche organization what advice would you give to a young person playing hockey at an average level who might not have the support or education when it comes to brain injuries my advice would be one find that environment find the environment even if it's if you say you know i don't have the peers or i'm not you know at the rink is guys are too busy to give me attention maybe it's a starbucks it's somewhere find somewhere where it's where there's energy and there's people around maybe it's i mean i don't know it's endless right find somewhere where there's some positive energy and people around and then number two would be fill your your tool bag with as many tools as you can oh, because even that the, analogy. the That's best re- favorite yeah the best researchers in the world when it comes to concussion and head injury we we still don't know there's it's so yeah. complex and it's almost the way i put it is we're we're at a point where we're finding more pieces to the puzzle but picture pouring out a puzzle onto a table yeah when you first get it that's where we're at i think and i know maybe yeah. some people will be upset by that but it's it's true there's there's we we're finding more pieces by doing more research we're finding out more things but we haven't quite put those pieces together yet oh, yeah. so what i what i did people say what did you do i was doing 13 different things i don't i don't know if it's exactly 13 right. but if you think about the nutrition that like we talked about it adds up i tell that's what i tell people i say i don't know what's going to help you and neither does the top of the world neurologist right now Everybody's they're probably different. a little better idea but right so i just say fill that toolbox do everything because if one of the 10 things works you're going to get back to you and then you'll get back to sport and it's a win-win so that's my advice and and it's tough to have the energy to do that but if again you're putting yourself in that environment that allows you to do that i think it uh i think it can lead to a, a faster recovery and then the other thing obviously is on a couple episodes that I did, one of the one of the coolest things I learned was that exercise. Uh, once, it, if you have had prolonged symptoms, one of the cool things is that if you push through, if you exercise and feel those symptoms, research is starting to show that that doesn't mean that you're making your head concussion any worse. So people think, well, I have my symptoms, so I I can't I, I can't run or jog. Right. And and if you think about it, what they're realizing is now. If you do push yourself a little bit on that jog or the bike, whatever is a, a comfortable way to push yourself with the symptoms that you may have, you're building up your capacity again. So it's yes, no different than it's like a tolerance here, right? Yeah, yeah. Than a stiff arm, you break your arm and you're getting out of the cast. If it's still a little bit of discomfort, do you just leave it there and don't do anything yeah. and wait, or do you slowly start moving it? Yeah. So it's the exact same thing. But okay, I'm going to slowly, I'm going to jog slow today, really slow. And then tomorrow I'll, I'll ramp it up a little bit. Oh, those symptoms are so you're building up that capacity, letting your body know, okay, I can push myself again. So um, that's the, the, the research in, in exercise is cool. And, and if you don't want to quote me personally, I would suggest people check out that episode because it's pretty, if they're, if they are struggling, then I would say check out that episode because you hear from the doctor, not me. Yeah, that, that is, that is awesome. And even like you said, the doctor, like he's doing so much, so much extra like, professionals like that. They never stop learning as well. Right. Yeah. If you're not learning, you're not totally. trying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and he was inspired to actually way back when he was choosing what he was going to do is he had two concussions, the same doctor from the same episode. He had two different concussions at two different times and they and they affected him completely differently. Mm hmm. And he wanted to re- and he wanted to learn why was that? How yeah. could I have the same injury? And it one was his emotion one time, and the other one was more his body. The other one, the right. issues. So well, there's five. What is there? Five different types or four different types of brain injury? Is that is that it? Like cognitive, and I think I haven't read the other one. Vestibular and all sorts of things like that. Like I, I yeah. too, I'm not sure. Those those are buzzwords that I usually hear tossed around when the yeah. conversation's happening. But I'm yeah. not even I'm not even sure how many there are. I don't know if they can if they have been able to to formulate them or, or categorize them like that but okay uh, yeah. yeah i've really been nerding out lately i was i was try, i was really uh really excited to talk right to you, so. <laughs> i like that i like yeah, that for sure so uh i mentioned to you last week when i was uh, just kind of messaging you that i i had read the book game change by ken dryden i don't know if you've had the chance to read that no not the full no. thing i know the the premise, the though, premise yes. of it yeah and I was so at his book signing for that and he talked about it for 
couple hours. It was really good. Oh, I bet. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's, yeah. he's an intelligent man. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, and so uh, Steve Monador was the defenseman. For the people that aren't uh, aren't familiar with the book, uh, Monador was uh, – he – faced a number of head injuries really really late in his career when he was playing with the Chicago Blackhawks and they eventually added up and he ended up taking his own life and so uh with Steve I mean he was a sixth seventh defenseman kind of a guy a fringe, a fringe guy that would obviously do whatever it took to stay into the lineup um how important is it as an athlete to be honest with yourself and as Linus Cog said once again nobody else really knows how you're feeling at the time so how important is that uh, it's it's a very very complex topic because I know what it's like to be in the shoes where yeah. you think it's everything you think that next game that next shift it's absolutely everything and, and unfortunately it, in a sense it was for me in a, it, a little bit it was everything and you dedicate your life one, to it right the voice of reason pardon yeah. you dedicate your life to it right like yeah. exactly that was You're your totally goal right you guys yeah. know many oh, people yeah. can relate to that that part of it. Yeah, can dude, they relate we, to the? We were playing junior B hockey, and we still thought we there was a chance, right? Yeah. We would have done whatever it took. Uh, yeah, and we're just a hey, couple of joes, right? Yeah. <laughs> hey, hey, and that's and the, and that's so the importance in that whole the fact that we all can kind of relate to that feeling, I think, is is there's a, there's a bit of a bigger issue to it, and I again again people might be frustrated with this or, or disagree with me, and that's totally fine. I think we need to have these conversations. Is that these players we look at and and the ones in the limelight will use the nhl players that decide that it's so sad they have no other option and they decide that that suicide is the best option and that's that's terrible Mm -hmm. what i want to know is how much of that situation could have been altered by a different social situation so let's say someone exits the game like you said a sixth seventh defenseman was never really in the limelight, grinded, grinded in the old game of hockey, had to probably fight and oh, yeah. and probably didn't really like it. Trust me, I know a oh, lot of guys that sure. you might think yep. they loved fighting and they did not. And yep. Listening to, even so, reading uh, Derek Bugard's book, it was another guy, like, he, he didn't want to do it, he just did it to, to stay where he was, right? Jeff Ketcher that I played hockey with, he yeah. used to fight Jeff Odgers, Chris Dingman, all those guys, yeah. and he just hated it. He had to retire, uh, he played U of M Bisons, he was a wings pick and he or king's pick sorry and he had to quit because of the concussions and he won't even talk about that those really? days anymore no yeah see and that's where i think so so that situation that many people in the hockey world understand is so why aren't we one when it happens when they exit the game why are we not loading them up with resources especially at the the higher levels where they're I guess the resources are potentially there, but we can do this at any level. Is is why aren't we? Kate, let's get let's support that guy. Yeah, I don't care that he made three million dollars. Trust me, the social side and and those issues. It doesn't matter how much money you have; it hurts and it's tough. And you're you you enter a bar or you enter a school, and people don't look at you like they did when you were an NHL player. And that's that's tough. That's not easy, right? So we need the support thereafter. And I so then my my point is. Is it totally the concussion, or is it the social social situation caused by the concussion that leads to the depression and the anxiety? <laughs> In so many because, cases, it likely is. Yes, and and I mean, it, I can't medically determine that. Of course, yeah. I would. I'm just curious about that, and I think on the support side, I also think it starts beforehand. I think there there needs to be more time away from the game, mm-hmm. and I, I just did an episode with someone named Victor Reskovich. Yeah, he took. Yeah, he just he took two years out of the game, completely hated it. Didn't didn't love the game. Took two years away. Went back to Notre Dame, the school he was at originally. Got his degree and then got the itch and then played fifty NHL games. And it was incredible to hear that those two years away gave him the mindset he needed to play the game, but also introduced him to other things in life and put his feet on the ground. So when that day came of, hey, hockey's no more, I can take a breath and accept that. So I think right. As, as much as we need the support after, I think it starts before. Where in in this game, even in the OHL, or major junior leagues, even out west, right? Yeah. Um, that process, junior A. I think we. I don't know if we work it into the curriculum. And again, a lot of people are going to think this is soft and ridiculous. The amount of people that leave the game and come back and still dominate. Yeah. I mean, Vic's one example. Yeah. It's doable. It's also healthy, I think, to get that breath of fresh air. And Absolutely. It, at the same time, like, look at the example of taking time off in the summer. How hard do, do guys work and how dialed in are they when they've taken time away? Yeah. How 
how when back in school, the first two weeks of school after your break, you are so dialed in mm-hmm. and excited and you have all your new pens and markers, <laughs> but then you grind for those two weeks and then friggin' your you, I don't know. There's something to that. And there's too many stories that, that kind of prove that a little bit of breathing room and some introduction to other things in life other than hockey all day, every day might help with the transition phase when the game comes the to tra- an end. Yeah. So sorry for the long winded answer. There. No, no, no. no. Awesome. And I went, when, as soon, as soon as you started talking about that, uh, I went back to your analogy of uh, filling your toolbox. Right. And so I know from a personal standpoint, uh, when I when we were playing junior B hockey, we were we were playing for a pretty bad team. Really and, bad. Yeah, and so which is besides <laughs> the point, of course. But um, I didn't. It was almost like I don't want to say it was almost like we were postponing like adulthood. But uh-huh. I know some guys were some guys were in school. Like some guys were getting degrees. I was one of those guys that you know wasn't really sure where I was at. I was kind of in no man's land playing hockey. Didn't really know what I was going to do with my life, and. Just the fear of it being over. It was almost like I just kind of kept playing until I turned 21 and couldn't play anymore, right? And then I would deal with everything after, and I didn't have the tools to do it. It was, it was, it was scary, man. I was 21 years old. I didn't have an education. I didn't know what what I was gonna do, man. Yeah, I, I, I totally appreciate you saying that, and I think just like I did was lucky enough to speak with Landsberg. It's, it's these are the wow. conversations that that really make a difference, right? Like. It's one thing to see it on a poster, you know, invest in your your future while you're still playing. It's another thing to talk in a locker room, similar to what you and I are doing right now, shooting the shit, chatting. Mm -hmm. To have that conversation in a locker room, that's where the change happens. When you're like, wait a second, oh, the cool guy on the team thinks that there's other, you know, plays the violin or the piano or likes reading about psychology or whatever. That makes the young guy think, okay, I should do that too, maybe. Maybe I should have some other tools again like you said mm-hmm. tools in my toolbox that i can pull out if they, if i need to and and everyone has to pull them out at some point you can only play so long and the game's getting younger right Definitely, so i, I appreciate yeah. you saying that though i think you, you the more you share that the more it'll make other players at all levels say yeah it's probably a good idea to uh have some other skills than just being able to play the game have something else in your back pocket yeah exactly yeah yeah definitely yeah. um kind of moving away from the concussion talk i kind of wanted to talk about your time in kitchener as a ranger Sounds yeah. like sounds like it was a pretty good time. Yeah, it was. Oh my gosh! Again, I was so blessed and lucky both times to be able to play for the for the team. I the characters I met. I don't even. I'm trying to think of some good stories of some bigger names. Uh, one individual, John Moore, who was in the yeah. NHL since he was 19, reliable yep. D man. Yep. No, not too flashy. Is he in uh, the Bruins now, John he, Moore? I don't know. He might be back with them. I know he was started with Columbus, then was in yeah. New York for a bit. Yeah. And the interesting thing with him is he's moved around so much, and but he's a phenomenal guy. Like he yeah. definitely wasn't moved because of any issues or anything. I'm not no. saying everyone is. For, yeah. I know what you mean. Right, but he's been he's moved around, and it's probably been great for the teams he's been able to play on because they've got a chance to be with a guy like him. So when we were in junior, not a word of a lie. He was like a 50-year-old man when he was 18, just got drafted. <laughs> Love guys like uh, that. <laughs> he was – yeah, it was it was insane. So he used to – I wasn't playing at this point. So I had been in, I had been hurt at this point. So I'm with the team just helping out wherever I can. He was the kind of guy who showed up every single day to the rink in khaki pants and a polo <laughs> all the time. Like morning practice. It was ridiculous. He was just a, a just keep it an light. adult. He was an adult. And the rest of us weren't quite adults yet, if that's a way to put it in. <laughs> did he, he have a shirt? Did he have church. a shirt tucked in? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, He picked me up for church on Sunday. We we were the only. I just wasn't every Sunday, but a couple Sundays we'd go to church together. Mm -hmm. Um, He was just a yeah. So that's that was funny. It was Landeskog was was very similar. He was he was funny because he would act like a twelve year old like the rest of us when we weren't at the rink. Mm -hmm. You know, going on ball walks and and fooling around at at lunch at school and whatnot. And then you get to the rink and he would stop laughing at the same joke that he would have laughed at outside of the ring. And we were like, we just, Murph and I started calling him dad. Cause it was like, Gabe, can you relax? We were like, <laughs> just a second ago, we were laughing in the car about something ridiculous. And now we're in the rink and oh, nothing's funny. And, but it, it speaks to his ability to turn it on and turn it off. And that's obviously why he is where he is today. Definitely. Um, uh, the <clears throat> one question I, I get is who was the, the best player I played with in Kitchener. And it's cool that I have the ability. I, I don't know. I've never, it's cool that I have the ability to answer this because I was so blessed and lucky to play with so many incredible people off ice and on ice. And it's, it's tough, but one of the, 
most incredible things. I mean, an easy answer would say Ryan Murphy, the skill he had in junior was ridiculous and the amount of points he had. But one thing that was amazing is Tobias Reeder, who I got to play with. So fast, eh? Oh, my. We like it was almost like having a power play. Him and Michael Michael Cadnacci was his his penalty killing partner, and I know this because I killed penalties with them. And the I honestly felt like we had a chance to score every single time I was killing with Toby. I was just like, okay, well if the puck chips out, he'll probably get it. And there was one time I'll never forget it. I wish I had the highlight clip. He scored on his backhand from below the circle on the dot line. Like he was he was below like yeah. So he was two three. Maybe four meters away from the net and scored short side on his backhand, shorthanded. On his backhand, I, couldn't even, <laughs> I was happy to get the assist. That's all, awesome. but it was that's all I at the time. And then I looked back in in video and I was like, oh my god, that went short side on his backhand from below the circles. Like, so he was he was uh, when people ask that, I mean, the easy answer is the big names that. You have any good John Gibson stories? The reason I asked, my mom's a huge Ducks fan and loves Gibson. Her uh, oh, good friend of yeah. her son plays there, so. Okay, right yeah. on, right yeah. on. Gibber was, um, I actually, when people say who's the, one of the most impressive people you played with, the reason he was, he we would win 6 nothing and we would lose 6 nothing, and he was the exact same person. Oh, wow. So I think that's why he's so good and was able to step into the league at such a young age yeah. because he was, he, young, yeah. he was just, I don't know if stoic's the word, he was just so, I guess, composed. Yeah. So if we won 6, six nothing and he had the game of his life, he'd be like, yeah, all right, well, let's take our gear <laughs> off and get out of here. And wow. same thing, but that's why I think it was so good because the same thing, if we lost, he didn't beat himself up. Didn't It was just, okay, well, this tonight didn't go well. Let's get out of here. So and I, I'll never forget the game against London in my, I want to say it was my fourth year, and obviously a big rivalry against London, yeah. and, and they were playing us at home, and we were at home. And, and this is, he had one, this is how good he was. So I, I don't even know how many games I would have played with him, over 100 maybe. He had one bad game his entire time in Kitchener that, that we all remember. If you ask if you ask Murph, <laughs> if you ask the rest of the guys I played with, they would say, yeah, it was the yeah the one game, the one bad game he had where he put a – he uh, just made a – threw the puck up the wall and, and they got lucky, batted it down and threw it in the open net right before he could get back. And so he – pulled himself out of the net they didn't even start we didn't even pull him yet like spotter didn't say hey gibber you're done he pulled himself got on the bench and and it was the funniest thing because everyone was kind of like you know what uh yeah you actually deserve the day off that was your we've all had terrible (laughs) games all the time and that was your one bad game that you've ever had so yeah seriously rest up you're good but uh yeah he was that's that's gibber he's just he was a phenomenal competitor because nothing took him off his game nothing yeah. he was just solid and i think that's why he's he's where he is today he's, i have nothing but you know good things to say about him it's funny that i had to say that in a negative way that it was his one bad game but <laughs> yeah that just was to show you how consistent and how yeah. phenomenal of an athlete he is definitely he's got a few vesnas coming up his way yeah he's good yeah, i yeah. believe i agree I with you so. i believe that timmy's a, timmy's a goalie so yeah. it's pretty easy for him to appreciate his yeah, i love watching him when he comes yeah. to town with the ducks so Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. That's awesome. Um, moving on, uh, you, you mentioned Steve Spot a couple times. Uh, he was a huge part of your support group going through your recovery. Um, it's no wonder that he's now, I, I saw that he's in his third NHL season as an assistant coach to Peter DeBoer in San Jose, who was also a former Kitchener Ranger coach, right? Yeah, yeah, totally. So I didn't have Pete when I was in yeah. in Kitchener. I just had Spotter. Yeah. Um, the funny thing about Spotter is, I've never seen someone so respected in so many different groups, especially the hockey world. Like he, everyone respects him. Like mm-hmm. it's unbelievable. And and that's a lot of what I learned about him was accountability and respect. He taught me that as much as he taught me about hockey. Um, but the, on the flip side, he's one of the biggest pranksters and jokesters <laughs> out there. It's hilarious. We, we <laughs> one night it's terrible to laugh at and joke about, but mm-hmm. one night, Murph accidentally threw the puck. You know when some rinks have the the glass between the, the sets of boards. Yes. Yeah. So the the benches, and then you got the 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 two pieces just separating the benches. Yeah. Yeah. Murph went to throw a puck off that to dump it in, and it missed, and it hit the wall behind the bench, like the brick behind the bench, and it bounced and hit our our um, 
equipment manager in the back of the head or assistant equipment manager right the bearcat was his name and he got hit in the head and everyone was like oh my god is barry okay bearcat, no puts a, he puts a towel on his head and goes into the room long story short he ended up taking a couple days off and so this is the joking side of, of spotter that i talked about so his first day back to the rink after taking some time away with this concussion first day back at the rink and he uh <laughs> we just finished video and which is at the other end of the rink in like an office and we're walking back towards our dressing room and spotter says hey boys i have a a motivational video to show you guys so if you can meet me in the rink so we go into the rink where we play it's completely empty dark mm-hmm. and beautiful uh, side note beautiful place to be when it's quiet and peaceful yeah. as you guys could imagine with with some nice old rinks and yes. so we're all we all gather in and spotter created this video i'm not even kidding the the on our jumbotron we had a beautiful jumbotron the lights come on a video starts and it's <laughs> the video of Bearcat getting hit in the head with the puck from like five different angles, all the cameras slow-mo sped up, zoomed in and Spotter made this, uh, promo video with music and everything. And, uh, we had no idea. Bearcat was pissed. That's for sure. <laughs> he was not having it, but, uh, that's, that's Spotter. And so he's, he's, you know, similar to Gabe that way they can turn it on and turn it off. Turn it but off yeah. He's, he's an extremely respected person and, and taught me so much about life. I can't thank him enough. That is awesome. Um, mm-hmm. I heard uh, about another coach here. I heard on your podcast how helpful it was to have former pro Mike Van Ryan in your corner uh, when you made the decision to move on from hockey after your final year. And how difficult was that for you at, and to have an important guy like uh, Van Ryan in your corner? Yeah, it was, like I said to you, that was my biggest my biggest fear growing up. If I look back, it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't, feared i didn't fear much other than what would i do if i wasn't a hockey player and it ate me up and right up until that point where i finally somehow found the courage to go in in my final year we still had about 20 games left i think 15 20 games and i went in and just i'd been counting my eggs and figuring out what i'm going to do and should i take a chance at pro is it time to count my blessings all these things running through my mind and i finally went in and said uh, i had a I, created a a pretty good bond with him and I had a great bond with Troy Smith too but he was my head coach at the time and I thought you know what he's got enough to worry about right now I'll go to my assistant who and Rhino's obviously an incredible guy and done well for himself and I just went in and said Rhino I I knew he had had an early exit from the game not completely on his call because Mm of a knee injury and and whatnot and had so much respect for him I said Rhino I I think I'm thinking of this being my last stretch of games here these last 15 and then and then moving on and his response to me was that i think we're, we're as hockey players and as athletes as people with the like you said commit every day to something can resonate with each other and be empathetic with each other on this topic and he said Fennell's once you get over that that idea that hump of you know the that the game's everything. He said, you're going to look back at your old self. He's like, because I did this, you're going to look back at your old self and think, oh my God, I thought hockey was everything. Was I ridiculous? Like I was crazy. And as soon as you, he said, you get a family one day and you have kids, he's like, you have no idea how much you will think that you were crazy oh, for thinking <laughs> yeah. hockey was everything. And it wasn't, and I, I kind of heard other people say that, but again, going back to the value of bringing this into the hockey world, these conversations is that it was the fact that it was Mike Van Ryan, who I grew up watching as a Leaf, yeah. and here he is telling me there's more important things than hockey. Like to hear You're from like, someone what? like that, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I watched those it. It are was, the guys to hear from that. guys like that who who have gone through it, and I know like I I hadn't I hadn't ever heard that from uh, from anybody when we were playing. Now that I'm I'm 30 years old, I've got a three year old. He was just running around upstairs actually. But uh, it's it's amazing. Like it's amazing once uh, once you've moved on and and uh, you find you find that purpose in life is how little it actually did matter and how you know as much as as much of uh, you kind of thought hockey was a part of your identity and it still is. Like I still play, but like it's it's not everything at the end of the day. Totally, it goes back to that those those little breaks in between the games, right? Or mm-hmm. or a couple days of of to do something else that'll might have made that process easier for me right so but uh yeah i was very lucky to have rhino in my corner on that and then you know when i told my other coaches they were as well so i can't can't say it was you know one individual i had a a team around me again that that helped me with the transition for sure 
Um, do you want to ask him a little bit about Van Ryan? Or well, I, I just I grew up watching a lot of him too because uh, I back in '99 when the World Juniors were here in Winnipeg, uh, I got to skip school for three weeks to go to the pre-tournament camp with my dad every day, and <laughs> okay. uh, I got to know a bunch of the players pretty good because he'd oh yeah go down and see them. So Mike Van Ryan was the captain of that team, so I've always followed his career and. Um, Actually, it turned out my mom worked with his aunt or something. I got to meet him a couple times out after that, and he was a guy I always looked up to a little bit. So that's pretty cool. That's actually really yeah. cool. So yeah. Oh, it's, cool. Yeah. yeah. No, he. Uh, the other thing too, and, and I guess on the hockey side of things, on uh, in interest of of Rhino himself, he was he simplified the game so much it was awesome. Like he really broke it down. Even when you come around the net as a D man, like here are your three options. You do this every time. You just deductive reasoning. You look wall. You look middle. You look glass. It's like it's pretty simple. It's a simple yeah. game. Mm-hmm. And he always used to say that on the bench. It's a simple game. And he would just. You always want to. We always want to overcomplicate things. Obviously, as hockey players, right? Yeah. And he, oh, yeah. he simplified it a lot, and and it was cool. I learned a lot from him. Mm-hmm. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Uh, before yeah. I uh, because we've we've actually gone pretty long here, but <laughs> before yeah before I let you go, uh, I mentioned to you last week that we were based here in Winnipeg. Obviously, we've talked a little bit of Winnipeg, and uh, I'd be absolutely asleep at the wheel if I didn't ask you about your good buddy Mark Scheifele. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I was wondering. I'm thinking he keeps bringing up Landeskog. He's a Winnipeg guy. What's yeah. going on? Are these guys Avs fans? Like, jeez. Yeah, exactly. Like, I guess they beat the Jets a few times the last few weeks, but he's an absolute god here. Yeah, so Shifes is a god here, man, and I'm pretty sure every girl wants to wants to date him. You know, so I even could do. you could you maybe yeah exactly could you uh, could you maybe tell our listeners something about Mark as a person uh, that the average fan might not know? Um. He that the average fan might not know. It's crazy with social media. Like so much yeah, is out we there. We know now. everything. Yeah. <laughs> What's something about? So one thing is we this summer he, he and I got addicted to pickleball. Oh wow! Sport pickleball. Yeah. yeah so he's yeah. a competitive pickleball player to the <laughs> point where, and this is actually a true story. This was ridiculous. We we went out of our way to find a facility here in Waterloo area over this last summer and. We won't, we couldn't find pickleball anywhere because it's still slowly growing, and we find this place that we can play, and we end up getting the gym to ourselves. It was like heaven. We were so fired up. We, we play. We don't play like the, the the I don't want to say elderly. That's not fair. Like the older demographic, we play hard against each other. It's so fun. And of course. he literally started. I mean, it's in the media how much he cares about his game and his craft and whatnot. He was he set up his camera behind the game so that he could watch himself play and then look oh, back through God. it and, and figure out it was kind of a joke but i yeah. think it was pretty serious like he's thinking how can i beat how can i beat finels so that that was funny and he does that with everything he takes everything seriously but yeah on the flip side the one thing i find incredible about him and obviously the other name you brought up landis cog is that these two have at a young age have had some great success and and i'm sure there's other guys in the league that have i don't know them like i know these two just their ability to keep their feet on the ground amidst all these incredible things i mean the both of them especially right now where they are in life to have their feet on the ground and and go out of their way to do events for the less fortunate or or those struggling in some way right yeah and uh, yeah on their own terms too right like not even being told by the team here's what you need to do they um they're yeah that's you all warmer meet him and and even amidst all that his his feet are on the ground so it's i'd say that's one of the most important even as a friend that sees sees him quite often in the summers he's he's the person that people see all the time he's that he's just a very very simple person and it's it's humbling to see so yeah that's awesome that's a, it's really that's really yeah, really, that really great to hear really cool um to hear another question about it like have you ever heard him swear <laughs> uh, no. no he always says frick he'll frick, just say yeah. frick yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, always hear him yeah. mic'd up and he's always yelling out there oh man it just makes me laugh the guy, <laughs> guys uh, just must, he, must just give him the gears i yeah i'm trying to think of funny stories i think it was actually here's a funny story that i joke about with he came over to see to meet my girlfriend's family i think for the first time and <laughs> ironically that was when we were introduced to pickleball and the, the funniest thing is when he first came over he is committed to diet and working out etc like like everyone knows and like he, yeah. it's all over the media so that's that's obvious but the first time he came over to my girlfriend's place he was explaining to them how 
you know, we, I, I eat pretty strict. I don't eat gluten. I don't eat that. I don't eat this. And I'm like, oh my God, okay, uh... can we go pickleball now? So then, but the funniest (laughs) thing is we were playing pickleball all day, like until under the lights. And so we were just gassed, like totally, we didn't go in for dinner. We just kept playing (laughs) and under the lights and now it's late. It's the summer night and we get in and isn't he, I turn over and he's eating a grilled cheese with cheddar cheese about this (laughs) thick and it was the funniest thing because four hours, five hours earlier, he's telling everyone how I can't eat gluten. I don't eat this. I don't eat that. And he was caught red-handed with a quick-thick uh, double cheddar cheese. Oh, man. Cheese, uh, yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. Uh, f- finally, uh, before we let you go, I know you mentioned uh, that some of those guys that were, uh, like, the best players you've played with and stuff like that, like uh, Toby Reader and stuff like that. But uh, just figured I'd hit you with five rapid-fire questions before you go. So your, uh, okay. your favorite NHL player growing up. Uh, Daniel Alfredson. Oh, wow. really? Nice. Yeah. I well, I, I, do you know, do I need to explain why or no? Sure. Sure. Man, why not? <laughs> because I grew up in a time where the senators and Leafs and I'm not far from when I was in Oakville, not far from Toronto, the Leafs and senators mm-hmm. were going toe to toe and a few years in a row in playoffs. And I obviously had to be the bad guy and cheer for the other team. And yeah. then I'm like, Oh my God, I love the, the captain. So then I just fell in love with him, with him as a player. So I watched him growing up. They had such good teams there. The, the senators. Yeah. The early 2000s. Oh, yeah. They were good. They had the Laleem yeah. factor. Yeah. The lean and Wade Redden and other <laughs> yeah, players yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. And so, uh, currently I'm sure you probably follow like, Who's your favorite NHL player currently? One of the most exciting players I find is Kucherov. Oh wow! Yeah, he looks like he's he looks like he's floating. He doesn't he doesn't seem like he's expending that much it's energy. So yet he's doing yeah. high level things. So from a uh, sports science side and a hockey side, it's just yeah. phenomenal to watch him play. And I mean, a lot of the top players are like that, but there's just to me, there's something about him that's exciting. Mm-hmm, definitely. What about? Uh... Uh, so say maybe the hardest player you ever played against who would be somebody like that Mm. the most interesting was mcdavid because i could at the time when he was younger and i was 19 or 20 it was it was phenomenal that if i had the chance i could probably hold him up on the boards with one hand but you (laughs) couldn't get him a chance to do that ever you wouldn't right that was that was interesting how shifty and slippery he was and then um one of the toughest guys because he was so strong and could play was boone jenner who played oh, in oshawa yeah. Who's oh yeah in columbus oh, now wherever he is now. yeah yeah, yeah. Blue Jackets, so, yeah 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 um best goalie timmy yeah. timmy wanted to, would like yeah. to know this best oh, goalie you've gosh. ever played with or against oh my gosh the it was a joke because I used to tell people, like, I didn't score, as you would know, looking at my stats, I didn't score much in games, and it didn't help because I didn't score in practice either. Because <laughs> you, sound like, like, you sound like me, man. <laughs> yeah, it was it was ridiculous. Oh, by far, Gibber was, it was an honor to, to be able to yeah. play with, with a goalie like that. So, and it helped pad my plus minus. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, that definitely helps. I think I saw one season, you were like plus 20, something like that. Was he in the net yeah. for that one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I mean, our other goalie, Frankie Palazzi's and our other goalies as well were great too, but it definitely helped to have Giver back yeah. there. Oh, man, for sure. Uh, and so you're picked to win the Stanley Cup this season, and don't say Nashville. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I won't. I, I'm thinking with the depth of – I'm hoping with the depth of the Jets they can they can pull it out. I think I was actually there last year against Nashville oh, for yeah. one of the games, and it was, it was incredible. I'd love an excuse to go back in playoffs, so um, – maybe meet you boys there at a game or something but yeah i'm hoping that the yeah. jets pull it off i think they i think they've got the depth too on the on the blue line yeah that you'll need uh so yeah kucherov's team there in tampa is uh, yeah i can't even believe what they're doing right now we actually just had the game on beside us it's unbelievable oh yeah yeah the it's, lightning. yeah what do you guys think oh boy <clears throat> i know who i want yeah uh, i like to see pittsburgh <laughs> yeah, again yeah, exactly. but uh wow that's tough putting me on the spot here ah <laughs> I'm gonna go with my uh, favorite goalie in Vegas. Fleur- oh. I think Flurry's gonna do it again. Really? And do it all the way. Wow. And I love Stoner, so yeah, something a little different. Wow. <laughs> I'm uh, 
I, I got I to gotta jump behind the Jets for sure. I, I got playoff tickets this year. I didn't have them last year. so I'll be at every game too. Yeah, so. Definitely uh, can't wait to rock our white for sure, man. Oh, yeah. I still got my hoodie from last year, so I'm hoping I have, it, like I said, an excuse to wear it wear it in the playoffs this year. So oh, that'd be great we'll too. Uh, yeah, if you uh, end up coming down yeah, here, it'd be great to connect for sure. Ben, thanks yeah. so much for taking the time. It's been a pleasure having you, and uh, we wish you nothing but the best with everything you do in your future. So, Yes, thank you very Likewise. much. Likewise. Keep the uh, keep those conversations going. Like I said, in the hockey world, you, you will make a big impact. And especially as someone that's also newly in the podcast world, I wish you the best with it. Thank and you. keep having fun. Thank, Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you very much, man.